Whether you're trying to change someone from being mean to nice, or whether you're trying to get rid of addiction, it's the same steps. One voice in the back, way towards the back part of the table, probably the furthest part of the table is why he probably said it. One of the other executives said that this man's name, the chairman, was Jean. He says, uh, uh, Jean, um, how are you doing on that anger stuff with your therapist? Right? And Jean goes, well, we've been working on it for years, as you know, and I just, I think we've made some progress, but I'm just that kind of person. And you could see that he had pride in the fact that he could be abusive because it gave him a sense that he was powerful, that he was significant. And so this person said, well, you know, Jean, and the person who said this is the person who invited me to dinner. <laughs> you start to get the picture. He says, well, you know, Jean, um, Mr. Robbins is considered to be the best therapist in all of America. He's able to create change in lightning-like speed. Aren't you, Mr. Robbins? <laughs> All of a sudden, I understood why I was invited to dinner. So he said, oh, no, no, Mr. Robbins, I would never, never take up your time at this wonderful dinner. It would be so unfair to you and everything else. He said, but Mr. Robbins, what would you do? And I said, well, you know, you're right, sir. I said, uh, you know, I, you're not my patient, so, you know, I couldn't work with you. I said, but if you were, I said, um, what I do is, I would not talk to you, like have you freely associate on your back about your childhood and that's why you're angry and stuff. I said, what I would do is actually train your nervous system to change so it really would. He said, really? How would you do that? That's all the opening I needed. <laughs> I said, well, I'd say, do you remember what you said to that man over there earlier? He said, no. I said, sure you do. Remember? You're calling those four-letter words, you're saying this, you're saying that. You kind of enjoyed it a little bit, it looked like. You went, well, yes. And I reached out and I went, wham! I hit him as hard as I could in the shoulder. He went, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm showing you what I would do if you were my patient, but you're not my patient, so I would never do that, right? He's like... And the people at the table like... Right? And I'm looking and smiling. And as I do this, he doesn't know how to process it because I'm not looking mean. I'm just going, that's what I do if you're my patient, but you're not, so I'd never do that. He's like. <laughs> do you ever see people when they're totally confused and they like search every quadrant of their brain? <laughs> so now what have I done? Massively interrupted his pattern and gotten major what? Leverage. See, you can talk to your blue in the face. That's not going to change this guy. He said, wow, that was painful. I said, that's the idea. So if I was your therapist, that's the kind of thing I do, and I do it enough that you would never do it again, ever. Right? And he's like, oh, yeah, that, would, that would be, yeah, I can see that might work. I said, oh, no, it will work. As a matter of fact, remember what you said to your wife? He went, no. I said, sure you do. And I went, wham, and twice, I was like, stop that, stop that. So I said, stop what? He said, what do you mean, what? That's what you just did. I said, oh, I'm just showing you what I would do if you're my patient, but you're not my patient, so I would never do that. And the people at the table are like, <laughs> some are going, hit him again, hit him again. <laughs> True story, no exaggeration. Say, yo, you didn't really hit him. I really did. If any of you know some of my therapy examples, you know I will do whatever it takes. So you come to see me, you're going to change. Okay? Because I have unlimited choices. I don't have all the rules that the traditional therapist has about not intervening too much. My job is you asked for it, you got it. Right? You're going to get it. So this guy now, he's like shaking from this thing. He goes, wow, I can really see how that would work. I said, is there anybody else you've been abusive to recently? He was like, no, no. 
So now, what have I done? I got leverage and I've interrupted his, both of those things. So the last step, step number three is this. Once you got the leverage, once you interrupt the pattern, third step is you must create an empowering alternative. You must create an empowering alternative. In other words, an alternative pattern. You can't just stop smoking. You gotta start doing something else. And what most people do is they stop smoking and start eating. So that's why you gotta find an empowering alternative. So create an empowering alternative. I can't just say stop yelling at people because his yelling at people gives him a sense of certainty that they'll listen to him and that they'll change. How many follow that? So if we just say don't do that, then we've not met the need that he used to get. We wanna meet the need more elegantly. If you're smoking, it's probably because you're stressed, and when you smoke, you take deep diaphragmic breaths, and so you get out of stress. When most people are stressed, they stop breathing, or they breathe very shallowly. When you have very little oxygen, that adds a smidge to your stress. So cigarettes now, while there's a physical addiction, what made it happen initially was it relaxed you. So you don't want to just stop smoking and be stressed. You have something else that relaxes you. So what a lot of people do is they eat tons of food, so the stomach fills up, and all the blood rushes in there, and they start breathing in their diaphragm again but there are better alternatives. Does that make sense? So you gotta come up with an empowering alternative and once you do it, and reinforce it. Reinforce it. How do you reinforce something? You notice it, you give it pleasure, you acknowledge it, you reward it. So you might wanna use the word reward it and reinforce it or reward it until it becomes habit. Until it becomes habit. So you gotta create an empowering alternative and you gotta reinforce it until it becomes habit. Once it's a habit, you're set. But how do you do this? Well, the secret to reinforcing something is give it pleasure, give it rewards. So you'll start changing to avoid pain. But after a while, you just go back to it, even though it's painful, I'll adjust to it. But see, what, what will last, what creates lasting changes is when you do something and you're rewarded for it. When you give yourself rewards, you feel happy, you feel proud of yourself, you feel a sense of excitement or freedom or more love. When you get that reinforcement on a regular basis, pretty soon it just becomes who you are. That's what you want to do. And so that's what I did with him. So a year later, so I, I had him come up with these alternatives on how to communicate. And throughout the night, when he started to communicate with somebody, he did something right, I caught him doing it right. And I'd say, now, John, I want to tell you something to you. Do you see Bob's face over here? The way you used to interact with him? So you can try and force him to do something or make him fear you, and he'll do a little bit. But people only do so much out of fear. They do the minimum out of fear. But when they love you, when they care about you, when they feel respected by you, they'll do anything for you. And this guy really would do anything for you. Look at this face right now. Doesn't that feel better? And I stopped making him stop and notice so he wasn't unconscious. And he'd say, you know, honestly, it really does. And he said, Bob, I really do care about you. And these great anchors happened that night where I kept reinforcing him, reinforcing him, reinforcing him. So he had plenty of alternatives and he saw it gave him more of what he wanted than the old behavior. So now I come back a year and a half maybe later and I do the seminar, things go great, and the same guy afterwards says, Mr. Robbins, would you like to come to dinner? And I look at him, and he, he like, I can't tell if he's, you know, got something or not. So I said, sure. Same restaurant, same room, same everything. Sit down, you table, I'm sitting next to Jean. Jean's great to have you back. Everything's warm, everything's wonderful. He seems really happy, everybody's great. I'm thinking, wow, this is cool, it all worked, right? And then maybe 15 minutes into sitting there, 
all of a sudden, John comes across and starts screaming at this person against the table. And I can just feel every part of my body going, obviously didn't break the pattern strong enough. I'm going to do it this time. And I just feel my face and body tighten up. And all of a sudden, he turns over and goes, gotcha. <laughs> and everybody in the whole place started laughing. It was a setup. And they all went around the table and they acknowledged me and they acknowledged John and talked about he's never been the same since his life has never been the same. He's such an incredibly warm and loving man now from that process, you know, just from that piece. Now, whether you're trying to change someone from being mean to nice or whether you're trying to get rid of addiction, it's the same steps. So for example, when I first built my career, I'd get on radio and television in Canada and I launched my career saying, I don't care what your problem is, I'll handle it. So I got all kinds of things. But one of my first therapies ever was a smoking therapy. Now bear in mind, I'm staying at the Westin Hotel in a place called Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Anybody been there? It's a magnificent place. You've not been there as pretty as any city in the world, I think. And so I'm there and I'm staying in this hotel and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I'm waiting in my room for my first real major therapy. And it's a smoking therapy. And I look at my watch and the guy doesn't show up. And I look and he doesn't show up, look, doesn't show up. So then I think, well, you know, no one knew my face in those days or even knew my name. So maybe he forgot my name and he's at the hotel. So I figure I'll go downstairs to see if he's in the lobby. So as I go out to exit my door, my room, right outside the door is this guy sitting <laughs> puffing like crazy. So I said, are you Bob? He said, yeah. I said, Bob, what are you doing out here? He goes, I'm having my last cigarette. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me he links pain to stopping smoking not pain to smoking. As long as he thinks stopping smoking is gonna be painful, it's not gonna work. We have to change that, what we call neuroassociation. It's a big word. It means what he associates in his nervous system, in his gut, right? Not what he has in his head. In his head, he knows better. But in his gut, his neuroassociations are rigged that stopping smoking is painful. That's why he's never done it before. So he wants me to do this painful thing to him. That won't work. So I think in a moment's notice, I come up with an idea. And I said, come with me. And we don't go to my room. We start walking down the hall. He goes, where are we going? I said, downstairs. He goes, uh, I want to do this in private. I said, we will. Follow me. We go in the elevator. We go downstairs. And I haven't been there in about two or three years. But even two or three years ago, in this day and age where very few people seem to smoke in public, at the Westin Hotel, they still have a tobacco shop there. And so we go down to this tobacco shop. And as you go in, the smells are everywhere, right? So when people smell, smell the smells, they go into state, right? So this guy's in state, right? He's got his cigarettes back. He's one happy camper. So I said, what brand do you smoke? So he tells me. I said, great. Give me uh, 12 cartons. And the guy looks at me and goes, 12 cartons? I said, yeah, 12 cartons. The guy goes, looks at him, 12 cartons? I said, yeah, pay the man. He's like, pay the man. So he pays him. So now I said, pick him up. So he's got six cartons here, six cartons here. We're walking down the hall. I'll never forget his face. We get on the elevator. The door closes. He's holding all these cartons of cigarettes. He looks at me and says, you're not going to make me smoke these, are you? I said, now we're making progress. <laughs> now he's linking pain to smoking already. How many follow this? Say aye. So we go sit in the room. And a lot of times when you're trying to change, helping someone make a change, the problem is you're changing a part of them doesn't need to change. Like the part of them that's really great. You need to get them in their smoking state and change that part of them. So I said, go ahead and open all the cartons, pull out all the cigarettes, and unwrap every one and pull one cigarette so it's accessible so you can just grab it real easily. And while you're doing that, tell me why you started smoking. And so he goes, okay, he starts undoing the cartons. And as he does, he kind of gets in state. He smells the cigarettes and starts undoing it and he goes into state, right? And he starts telling me, well, when I start out, I really didn't want to smoke, but 
all my friends did, and it was like the cool thing to do, and he's going into state, right? And so I said, okay, well, light went up. He looked at me, he went, what do you mean light went up? I came here to stop. I said, I know, but you really want one, so light went up. He went, well, no, I, I don't want one. I want to stop. I said, light went up. Light went up right now. And I started acting crazy. Right now, you want to stab me? He's like, <laughs> now he's smoking like And he's freaked out. Now imagine, these are the feelings. Tuna casserole mixing with smoking. You get the idea? I go, oh, oh, I don't like this. I don't like this. I said, that feel cool? No, it doesn't feel cool. No. <laughs> I said, is that for now? No, it doesn't feel good. I don't like What don't you like? I don't like this. What don't you like? I don't want to smoke. As soon as he said that, I like transform. Acting insane. He's freaking out. He's walked in a room with this insane man, right? So as soon as he says, I don't want to do this, I'd say, you don't want to smoke? I'd act really calm again. And he'd go, no. I said, well, then do whatever you want to do. He goes, well, I want to put it out. I said, well, do whatever you want to do. I said, really? I said, sure. He goes, let's put it out. I said, light up two more. He said, no, I really don't want to. Light up two more right now. Now. No, you light them up now. Oh, gee. And he's freaking out of his mind. And he's screaming, is that cool? Does that feel cool? No, no. Finally, eventually, he'd go like, I don't like this. I don't like this. You don't like what? I don't want to smoke. What's that? I don't want to smoke. I said, oh, well then, do whatever you want to do. He's like, well, I want to put them out. I said, go ahead. Really? Sure. He puts them out. You can just see he's afraid, right? Puts them out. I said, light up six more. He's like, I don't, I light up six more now. And I go 10 times. And he said, put it between his fingers. Come on, suck in every one of them. Suck on them. How's that feel? Finally get to the point, I'd say, light up five more. I had a whole ashtray filled with half-smoked cigarettes, put it on his nose, he's breathing, it's smoking his face, hating it, right? How's that feel? I hate it, I hate it. Right? I said, light up another one. He said, no. I said, you light up another one right now. No, you can't make me smoke. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now we broke the pattern. So then when you get an alternative, and so he went outside and he dumped his cigarettes over the side down into the ocean. I wouldn't do that now, but he did it. And he blew his nose, and all his black soot came out, right? Just all over the place in his handkerchief, right? Kept blowing his nose, blowing his nose, you know? And I did too, because I was in the room taking it all in also. It's a terrible way to do it stuff. It's one of the reasons I stopped doing them eventually, I came up with a different technique, right? Because I was gonna have cancer doing all these therapies on these people, right? And so, 
So he goes out there, now he's breathing fresh air, and the fresh air feels so good. And then he comes up with the alternative and condition it. It works. Now, you got to vary your technique for various things because once I found something to work, you know, you tend to do it a lot because it works. But how to create momentum is really a science. It's not difficult, but it is a science. It's a step-by-step -step process. And when you understand how to do it, you can create momentum anytime you want. Momentum in your business, momentum in your emotions, momentum in your career, momentum in your, your relationships. doesn't matter what area of your life. What's the source of power within you or your organization that can turn around virtually anything in a matter of moments? And the answer to that, of course, is momentum. Now, when you think about what does it take to succeed, there's so many things you can talk about and what it takes to succeed in any situation. But one thing that is universal to succeeding in any situation is you must take the first step. And that's the one that most people don't do. They study it, they think about it, they fret about it, they complain about it, but rarely do they take the first step. In order to do that, I want to make sure that if you never heard another word I said for the rest of your life, and you want to improve anything, you'd know what to do first. Because if you do the first thing, you'll likely come up with the second, third, and fourth thing. It's just a, a natural part of momentum will help to create that happening. So what is that first step? Well, for me, if I'm going to work with an athlete, or a business person, or a financial trader, or a politician, doesn't matter what the context is, their game is not where they want it to be, or their game's going well and they want to make it better. There's one place I go first always, and that is I put them in a peak what? The reason is because until you put somebody in a peak state, everything you're going to get is going to be less than who they are and what they're capable of. So I want to get them that peak state. So for example, when I met Andre Agassi for the first time years ago, he was like 50th in the world or something like that. And what happened was Andre has a certain mindset and he came in and he had kind of an attitude with me. And I said, look, Andre, I said, the bottom line is you give me 15 minutes of your total attention. If in those 15 minutes you do what I ask you to do, you don't feel an immediate radical change, then blow me off and let's move on. Let's not waste any time. So what I did basically was I gave him examples from videos that I'd seen of him. And I'd say, okay, here's where you won Wimbledon. That was when he was at his best. Now here's a guy that had been as good as anybody in the game. And you watch him, right? And I show him, and this guy's walking down the court. It's before he cut his hair. And he walks out like this, right? And he looks across, across the court like this at the guy on the other side of the court. And I said, what were you thinking at that moment? He said, I remember what I was thinking. I said, what were you thinking? He said, I was thinking of this guy. Why did you even show up? Right? Now, is that a certain state? Now, in that state, you don't think about, okay, is my backhand going to be okay? Right? Because what happens is when you're in your best, you don't think about how to do it. You just do it, don't you? It just flows. That's a peak state. So I said, okay, here's the French Open. He walks out like Don Knotts. He looks over at the other guy and says, look at his face. What are you thinking then? He said, I remember the last time he beat me. So what I do is I change the state, anchored it, showed him a couple ways to trigger it. It was very fundamental. And in less than six months, he was number one in the world. Now, Andre's gone back down and up again after he got injured recently. And I was talking to Brooke about it. She goes, his pride says he's got to do it himself this time again, which I'm sure he has the ability to do. But sometimes people just don't manage that state. They don't go there first. They work on their game instead of working on their state. So I don't know anything about the game, but I know everything about human psychology, what affects every game. That's the power. That's the linkage. So what we want to do from this day forward is if you want to get better at anything, if you want to suddenly be better in your performance of business, if you suddenly want to be more passionate in your relationship, if you want to make an improvement in your study habits, if you want to help your kids more, the first step to any of those things is always the same. Put yourself in a what? in a peak state. It's going to be step number one no matter what we do. Now here's the good news. There's basically two things you'll change to change your state in the moment. You'll change either your what? And what kind of change in the physiology? What kind? 
radical change or you will change your or both right and you know how to do it so let's very quickly first see that I'll walk you through the whole thing first so once you get yourself in a peak state that's kind of like priming the pump ever got yourself in a peak state, like a wham and you're there for a while then gradually you come back to the kryptonite Clark Kent that you were before right how many have experienced this being in a peak state and then gradually dropping down say I the reason you drop down is you didn't keep momentum going by going to the second element and that is you must find your passion. And what does that mean? It means you gotta discover what do you love? What do you really love? What excites you? What juices you? What do you hate? Because I got news for you. People are driven not only by what they want, but also what they don't want. Very often people come to me and they'll say, but I don't know what I wanna do for my career. I'll say, well, describe me the ideal job. I don't know what it is. I'll say, okay, great. Describe to me the job you would hate. Describe to me right now a job, describe the environment you would hate to be in, the people you'd hate to be around, the kind of work you would hate to do, right? The kind of money you'd hate to make. You go through the whole thing. And when they're all done, they have no problem describing what they hate and they get passionate about what they hate. Oh, I hate this and I hate that. All this energy is coming out of them. Then I say, okay, great. Look at that. You hate that? Yeah. Now write the opposite of it and you have the job for heaven. You have your ideal. So you can get to a person's drive through what they love, through what they hate, through what excites them, through what drives them. And very often I'll ask people, well, what do you want? And they go, I don't know. If I knew that, I could get it all worked out. I really don't know. And the reason they don't know is because they're asking in this state. See, it's like trying to walk in this state. Not gonna happen. So the reason you're not getting the answer is you are not putting yourself in a state of total certainty. So by putting yourself in a peak state, people often say, I don't know what I want. I say, stand tall, breathe strong. Now, if you knew what you want, what'd you say it was? They tell you immediately. Because all you've done is put in the state where the answers really are there. That's all you got to do. Third part, once you're in state, that's like priming the pump, right? Remember in the old days, if you want to get the, out of the well, the water, you had to feed it something first. So putting yourself in state feeds it. But to get to the well, you find your passion. And the well of passion is never ending. Things you love, things you excite, things you hate. But once you find that passion, that'll go for a long time. But you eventually, to keep momentum going, you have to take that passion and do something with it. So step three is you must decide, commit, and resolve what you're going to do with it. And that's what keeps the momentum going. Otherwise, you're just passionate for a long time, and then gradually that will dissipate. And by the way, those are three different experiences. Decision, committing, and resolving. They are different emotions. And they're all three critical if you're going to actually follow through on your decision. Step four for momentum is you must get yourself to take massive what? That's right. Because the only way a decision is real is if you act upon it. If you don't act upon it, you make a decision, you'll lose momentum. And then finally, when you start taking action, you'll start getting results, and so now you want to be smart. And smart is an acronym for you want to make sure your strategy is really working. Remember, you want to have sensory acuity. Is it working or not? You want to measure it. You want to assess, is it giving you what you want? And if it is, you want to reinforce it and take new action. And that keeps the momentum going. And then you'll see in the middle of the circle, there are some forces that will either accelerate or break your progress. And that is emotion. Certain emotions will speed it up. More passion, right? More intensity. Certain emotions like fear will slow it down. It'll break your progress and momentum. Same thing is true with focusing your power. When you concentrate all your focus on something, it accelerates it if it's something good. If you focus on your greatest fear, it's going to slow everything down. Same thing as modeling. If I want to speed up my momentum, well, then I can learn by someone else's experience. When I had no money, I mean none, I couldn't pay my own bills, I couldn't pay my rent, I would take my money and go to a seminar or take somebody to lunch who was brilliant and pick their brain. Because I realized I'm always not going to have money for rent until I make a radical change in my understanding, skill, and psychology. 
and I don't want to wait forever. I got to get it now. So I would stretch to get the resources of someone else when I couldn't possibly do it because I understood that. A big part of my life came about from saying, I want to compress decades into days. The only way to do that is get those resources, and that sped up my momentum. It gave me the power of modeling. Another one there is synergy. How through synergy you can speed things up, and, and lastly, the power of environment. What drives you? What do you really want? What are you committed to? Now, once you've got those emotions brewing, it's a lot easier to do what all change comes from, which is to make a real what? Decision. Because if you look at your life and you want to see why your life is the way it is, the parts of your life you love and maybe the parts of your life you're not as thrilled with, you can really define why your life is there if you really look at your life by your decisions. You say, no, 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 that's the way God made it. Well, that may be true, but God has made lots of people have the same experience, but what you took out of that experience was your conscious choice or unconscious choice. You decided. And so if you look at your life, I bet you could look at the last 10 years of your life, for example, maybe the last 15. I'd be willing to bet there are places along the way that if you would have made a different decision, your life would be radically different than it is right now. Better or worse, I don't know, but you probably do. But it'd certainly be different. How many would agree with that? Say, I. And a lot of times those decisions we don't think much about. Sometimes they're decisions like what are we going to do for a living or where we're going to live or who we're going to spend time with or who we're going to marry, or where they're going to have children, right? what we're going to believe. Those choices have shaped who you are. And so if you want to transform the quality of your life, there is only one power, and it's decision. But most people have not made a decision so long, like a real decision, I mean a tough one where it's hard and you make yourself do it. They kind of like express preferences and kind of see if it works out. They put it in a should mode. A decision made from a should is not a real decision because you don't act on it. You do it for a little while. You never really not only decide, but to commit and really resolve that no matter what, you're going to make it happen. That's different than just deciding in the moment, right? That's not a real decision. That's a preference that you're expressing. So if you think about that, then there are decisions along the way that have shaped your life radically. And if you want to shape your life, you want to take control of that power that your creator has given you. And you got to do it consciously because otherwise what happens is you just go with the flow. And going the flow sounds really nice. But the problem is you get to the fork in the river and you haven't decided clearly you go with the flow. Well, the flow of water, the strongest flow, goes to where the falls are. And one day you wake up, you know, three feet from Niagara Falls in a boat with no oars and you go, oh, shoot. And at that point, it's a little late. So what we want to do is get really conscious about decision making. But again, you want to do it from a peak state. I had a friend that for years drove this old, horrible car he hated. But he kept doing it because his belief was that God wanted him to be poor. And his kids hated it. They'd make him drop them off a block from school. He made a decision to believe that God wanted him to be abundant. And his first act that he did, his committed act, is he took out a shotgun and blew up as many holes in that car as he could, saying, I will never drive this car again, and neither will anyone else. Yeah. Commit and act. Momentum comes when you not only decide, but you take immediate action. What immediate action are you going to take? To demonstrate you mean it. Who are you going to tell? What are you going to do? What's the first thing you do? Simple thing. And what's a big thing you could do that commits you here? That shows this means business. Action is momentum. What action would you take immediately to create more momentum now? To back up your decision with power. Think. What's a little decision? Little action, rather, on your decision. And what's a big one you do that would just be like, this is it, baby. And feel good. Feel good to take, commit an act, wouldn't it? 
It takes you beyond decision. It takes you to total momentum, action, power, results. Now, if you remember this momentum model, we said that the steps were that you had to first put yourself in a peak what? Step two is once you're in that peak state to keep it going, you got to find your... What do you love? What do you hate? What excites you? What drives you? Once you're there, you must take immediate, make, I should say, you must make an immediate decision, right? Because you got to use that emotion to do something worthwhile. And then you want to take decision to committing and resolving. How many can feel the difference when we went to resolve? Say, I. Then you must take immediate, massive, intelligent what? That's right. Then all you got to do is be smart, which is notice your strategy if it's working or not. It's working. Reinforce it. It'll keep your momentum. It's not. Change your approach. What if that doesn't work? What do you do? If that doesn't work, what do you do? Whole time using your sensory acuity. Keep changing till you get what you want. Period.